You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Ahmad Manawar, and he's the creator of the 90-Day Pipeline, a coaching program that helps B2B consultants and service providers fill their pipeline with five and six-figure deals without begging for referrals, wasting time networking, or spending a dime on advertising. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dennis. Great to be here. Yeah, great to have you. We were chatting before I hit record, and we know of each other and knew each other a little bit through LinkedIn, but we never had the opportunity to meet. And so I'm happy to have you here. You're from Toronto. I'm from Buffalo. So we're even closer than you know I realized. And uh, today, the cool part is just to tease the audience a little bit, You know, Ahmad has had a lot of success in his business and he's going to actually share the roadmap. He's going to share kind of a framework and a roadmap on how he went from a solopreneur to a CEO going from 10,000 a month to over 300,000 a month in 30 months. So he's going to give you a bit of a framework. He's going to walk you through that. So grab a pen and paper, take down some notes. You may even have some questions. I'm sure he's going to give you some contact information at the end where you might be able to have a, a chat with him or find some additional information. But in any event, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. It's awesome to be here. Yeah. You left out the part about how I've been trying to get your attention for years. And really, this interview is really just me trying to get your attention again. Like I finally arrived. Here well, I am on, on Dennis Brown's podcast. I mean, that's, is there an award I can put on my shelf? Because I'm, I'm expecting one at the there, end of this. There is, there is. It will be sent out to you. It'll be sent out to you shortly. So yeah, I listen, I appreciate it. You know, the pros and cons of having a podcast that's been fairly successful is that I only have four interview spots a month. If For those of you that are listening, I have four interview spots a month and I get about a hundred inbound interview requests per month. So, you know, the good thing is for you as the audience, you only get the cream of the crop, right? You're getting the best of the best. So Ahmad is one of them. He's definitely one of them. It just took a little bit of time to get him on here, but I'm excited because he's got some great information. But before we dive into that, before we dive into that, Give us a super quick backstory. I mean, don't spill the popcorn in the lobby about your journey here of how you really scaled this thing up, but what led you to becoming an entrepreneur? Why did you decide to start your own business? Yeah, quick backstory. Me and like two, three bullets. I started out at Ernst & Young uh, as an accountant, realized pretty quickly accounting wasn't my calling and I wasn't particularly good at it. And the big firm environment wasn't entirely my sweet spot. I ended up leaving the firm and joining, uh, joining a small kind of fledgling consulting firm. They had one big whale client at the time. And they didn't really have anybody to run the business side of things. And they thought, well, you work at Ernst & Young and you've got these fancy suits and you go to these fancy lunches in downtown Toronto. Why don't you run the business side of things? And I said, sure. I don't know anything about running a business, but what could go wrong, right? And so I did that for a few years. And 
we faced every problem you could think of and made every mistake in the book. And, you know, it was touch and go there for a while. Ended up signing some big blue chip firms, grew that firm to seven figures plus um, and had a great time and learned a ton and then realized, well, I could do this for myself. I could do this on my own and I could help other firms who are struggling with marketing and business development to client acquisition. And it was really the itch, I think, is that's where a lot of these stories begin, right? It was just that that entrepreneurial itch where it's like, well, what if I did this on my own? Could I do it? I don't know. But there's only one way to find out. And that's where Boutique Growth and the work that we do now is born. What year was that? I started Boutique Growth seven years ago, give or take. So let's say 2014-ish. Okay. So just to give the audience a sense of scale, right? To see what you've been able to accomplish in seven years you know, starting from little or no experience as an entrepreneur, right? You worked inside that other business, but tell us a little bit about the business itself, whether you can give us percentage growth, uh, some range of revenue or employees or something. Give us, give us some sense of what you've uh, been Yeah. To I mean, I'll get really concrete for you. So for the first four years, I would basically farm myself out as a director of marketing for hire. I would go and I would say, Hey, you're a professional services firm, consulting firm. That's my niche, consulting professional services. And you don't have an executive marketer on your team because it would cost you, you know, six figures to hire that person. And you probably don't need that person because you're sub $10 million in revenue, right? Or usually sub $5 million in revenue. Why don't I come run your shop on a fractional basis? And I did really well. And I made six figures doing that. And really, to be honest, I mean, I think this is pretty typical of a lot of solopreneurs is I was just trying to replace my income at the time. And I didn't have many big aspirations beyond replacing my previous income, you know, steady six-figure income. So I replaced my steady six-figure income. And that was it for four years. I just flatlined, didn't grow, didn't really try to grow, wasn't interested in growing. It was status quo, reign supreme. And it wasn't until about you know two and a half years ago, about 30 months ago, that we decided to scale the business. And from that point, 30 months ago, this is like you know kind of late, mid to late 2018 to today, we went from about 10 to 15K per month in revenue to 300K per month in revenue. And we went from a team of just me, solo printer. It was literally just me. Uh, 30 months ago, I think I had a VA at like 10 to 20 hours a week, but no full-time employees, no contractors. To today, we're, you know, if you include contractors, full-time employees, we're 15 to 20 people. Excellent. Okay. So, so there's a lot that's went on between there, right? I mean, you had that first four years where you're kind of getting your feet wet and it probably wasn't a great model to scale in the first place because it relied heavily on you, right? And so you decided to make a little bit of a pivot. We're going to talk about that. And then you scaled it up. And now you're doing 300,000 a month is kind of the estimate of what you're talking about based on the ramp up. Awesome. Perfect. We'll probably end the year at about half a million a month, but right now about 300. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. All right. So there's a lot to go into that. And I don't want to waste any time because I'm sure you have a great, you know, some great information to share. So you're here today to kind of break this apart. How you went from solo entrepreneur to CEO doing 10,000 a month to 300,000 a month in 30 months. Why don't you break that apart for us? I know you got a bit of a framework and we'll see where we can get. Yeah. So, I mean, there, there's really four seasons of growth. Throughout that 30 months, I can, I can track the growth across four seasons. And probably the biggest takeaway for people listening to this who perhaps want to do something similar, and there's two big takeaways I'm going to use to preface everything I'm about to say. Number one is you have to have a reason why you want to do this. <laughs> okay. Because let me tell you, by no means do I want to uh, imply that what we did over the past 30 months was easy or a walk in the park. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. Okay. And there's lots of hard things to do going forward still, right? So it was difficult. It was challenging. It took tremendous amount of discipline and persistence. And I would only have been able to do that if I had a strong reason why I wanted to do that, right? Making money is not a good enough reason. Growing a business for the sake of growing a business. One of my mentors told me that you know, there's two reasons to grow a business beyond three to $5 million. One is ego, bad reason to do it. <laughs> and two is 
you have a real passion for the industry and you just want to, you want to keep helping people. That's the good reason to do it. Right. So there's lots of reasons why you might want to grow a business. I would implore you to have a reason or have reasons. Otherwise the challenges that you face are, or are significant and you're not going to be able to overcome them without some good reasons backing up why you do what you do. And the second thing I want you to take away from this, and you'll see as we get into the, into the framework here is you can't do everything at the same time. I wasn't trying to solve every problem of a multi-million dollar business on day one. I wasn't trying to get there overnight. I wasn't trying to, you know, fast track a process that just takes time. So you'll see as we go through the four seasons of growth, you'll see how in every season I was focused on one singular thing, just one thing, right? Everything else was on autopilot while I focused on solving the one major problem. And that major problem was always the bottleneck that was facing the business. What was the one thing that was preventing the business from getting better results? So with that said, I'll jump in. Season one. Good to go, Dennis. Perfect. Let's rock. Season one was offer validation. So here's a pretty common mistake. Dennis, you see this all the time. How often people ask you about marketing and lead generation and sales and outreach when they don't have a bloody offer to sell? Yeah. 90% of the time. Or they don't have a good offer. They don't have a good offer, right? Yeah. They got an offer, but it's just, it's very vanilla. Cardinal sin, right? Like you could spend a fortune on marketing and advertising and outreach and and time and money. And all of that will be a complete waste of time and money and energy if you don't have a solid offer that the market wants. And again, that's the key word there, that the market wants. I don't care what you think about your offer. I don't care if you think it's good. Of course you think it's good. You made it. (laughs) What does the market think about your offer? If you articulate your offer to the market and they don't say, how do I buy that? You don't have an offer yet. And so my first season was really just building out the offer and validating the offer. So those first, first four years of business, that was part of that, right? You know, you could argue, well, I mean, why were you twiddling your thumbs for four years, making less money than you could have been making? Do you, the people ask me all the time, do you wish you'd scaled faster? And honestly, probably not. Because those first four years in business was me getting into organizations, customers' offices that I could serve and helping solve their problems and getting into the weeds of that and ultimately building out my offer and refining my offer and getting the data that I needed to make a really strong offer. Those first four years and those clients that I work with, they became the tactics we implemented, the strategies we implemented became what we now call the 90-day pipeline, which is our flagship offer. I wouldn't have, you know, if I just left my former job, and this is, I think, a mistake a lot of people make, they leave their job and they go, well, here's my offer, but where's the story? How do I know your offer works? How do I know it's going to get me results? I wouldn't have been able to build the 90-day pipeline coming out of my employment experience. I had some data from my work with that former employer, but not a ton, right? I needed to spend those four years in the weeds working with clients to really nail the offer down. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that, and I'm glad you did, because this is beyond just product market fit, right? This is actually having something of real value that you can actually deliver on and that you can actually tell the story about on how you've actually done it. So what I love about what you did that is very different than what I see from a lot of entrepreneurs, coaches, and consultants that come out of every crack, nook and cranny here these days, is that you actually did it. You've actually done it in the corporate world, then you did it in the, you know, in your own business, and then you did it in other people's business. So you actually applied it, right? You actually applied those lessons, and that's huge. Because there's no replacement for that. And I agree with you. The four years you spent was probably, you know, worth 10 times any Harvard education that you could have actually gotten, right? Because you were actually doing it. So that's huge. I really, I can appreciate that. And I didn't actually know that about you. So I think that's, I think that's something huge that somebody would look for if they were looking for a program to work with, because it's actually been used. So good. All right. So how did you go about validating it? 
beyond like when you went, when you decided to pivot out, you had this idea of what the offer was, but when you went out to test it on a larger scale, what do you think is the best strategy for the audience to go out and try to test it or to float the offer or to try to get some sort of meaningful feedback so that they can customize it and tweak it? Yep. Make offers and take payment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just make a bunch of (laughs) offers, right? So when we launched the 90 day pipeline, I said to myself, you know, and I was, I was getting some leads coming in from my organic marketing efforts at the time. And I was selling them my retainer services by and large. And I said to myself, look, the first five customers or prospective customers that I talked to that I think would be a good fit for this program, because they're probably smaller than my typical, you know, retainer client would have been, I'm going to make them this offer. And, you know, and I, and I slapped the price tag on it at the time it was $2,000. It's now way more than that. I slapped the price tag on it. I said, what, you know, let's, what's the worst that could happen? And I made five offers to five prospects and the price was so ridiculously low at the time that they all said, yes, it was kind of a no brainer. The, the offer relative, the value of the offer relative to the price point was just like ridiculous. And they all said, yes. And I delivered that to a beta group of those five clients. It took eight weeks. And after that, actually midway through that, I realized I had something really powerful. So offer validation is not just about selling the offer. It's about selling, fulfilling and delivering results. That's offer validation. It's sold. I have people five out of five bought it. So I knew there was a market demand for that, right? But then could I fulfill it? Could I deliver on my promise? I delivered on the promise. And then will clients get results, which is ultimately all that matters. And once I checked those three boxes, I knew I had something powerful. Yeah. The other thing you realized at the end of that eight weeks is you undercharged for it. Yes, but this is a common question. This is a common question. Which got to start somewhere. Is, you have to start somewhere. Yeah. I mean, well, and the build on that. That's not a bad. That's not a bad gig. You had you made ten thousand dollars doing a beta in eight weeks. You learned a lot. They learned a lot, and now you've got the foundation of a real offer. And looking back, the real value in those transactions was not the money. It was the case studies and the results. So I tell people that are starting out now, don't worry so much about what you're charging. Worry about results. Optimize for results and case studies because those are going to be worth their weight in gold. The money those early clients pay you, you won't even remember that eventually. It's irrelevant. Yeah. But all those stories are what's going to sell and promote and build confidence in everybody else as you're marketing it going forward. So great. All right. Anything else you want to add about offer validation? I think that was perfectly clear and made total sense. Oh, good. Yeah. We can go into season two. Awesome. So season two is about scaling marketing. Now, again, think about bottlenecks. Okay. What's the bottleneck in you? If you're listening to this, what's the bottleneck in your business? Now, for me at the time, once I had an offer, right? Remember, I was marketing, selling, and delivering the offer all myself. My biggest bottleneck became opportunity, leads. How many leads, how much opportunity did I have coming into my world on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? That became my bottleneck because I knew if I took 10, 15, 20 conversations a month, I was going to close a pretty healthy percentage of those, right? And I had the capacity to deliver on those. So for me, season two became about scaling opportunity volume, getting more leads, more opportunity in the door so I could convert more of them into revenue, right? Grow my top line and be able to then invest that revenue into building the team and building out other processes in the business. So that was my initial focus. It wasn't product. (laughs) It wasn't rebuilding the program. It wasn't making new training. It wasn't building this. It wasn't any of those things. It was just opportunity volume. How do we scale marketing? So we have so much opportunity coming into our network that we just don't know what to do with it. Yeah. So ultimately you had to get more leads. You had to get the offer in front of more people so that you could have more conversations so you could ramp up sales. So the the marketing scale, give us a little bit of a breakdown on how that worked. Again, I love your, you're very focused on one bottleneck at a time. First, it was the offer. Now it's the marketing and lead gen. So how did you go about scaling that up? Yeah, basically two phases, right? Within season two, scaling marketing, there's two phases. There was the organic marketing and the paid marketing. 
So the first order of business was how do we optimize what we're doing organically? And, you know, Dennis, you're big on LinkedIn. We're big on LinkedIn. You know, LinkedIn was, is my organic marketing platform, right? It's where if you're selling B2B. It's a platform that you cannot afford to ignore. If you're ignoring it still, I can't imagine that you are. It's where business is done. So first order of business was how do we scale our organic presence on LinkedIn, right? And so, and Dennis, you and I cross paths a lot of times. There's a couple of, you know, relatively well-known influencers in the space, right? So it was, it was videos. It was lots of content. It was growing the network. It was engaging with influencers like Dennis Brown and others, right? And that was really important because I knew that I was going to go to paid marketing pretty quickly. But the mistake that a lot of people make when they go to paid marketing is they go to paid marketing before they have a validated message, right? And that, trust me, somebody that spends a lot of money <laughs> on paid advertising you will spend and waste a lot of money on paid ads if you don't have a validated message that you know is going to convert. So you want to be able to max out your organic marketing efforts and validate your messaging. You want people organically coming to you saying, hey, I love what you're talking about. I love what you're saying. I love your approach. I love the way you put this and that. Can we work together? You want to maximize the potential of that before you move to paid. And that's what I did. And that got us to you know, probably about 30 to 50K a month you know, on the revenue scale, just from organic methods. And that's when we started investing in the paid advertising because I knew that at the level of scale that we wanted and the kind of volume that we wanted to do, we were going to need the consistency of paid advertising. And that was the second phase. Gotcha. And where did you, I mean, you know, every business has a little bit different channel or potentially a different channel, like Facebook, the big ones, obviously Facebook, Google, YouTube, Instagram, you know, where did you go? What was it that you tested and what were some of the results? Yeah. So we started on Facebook and it was about a 12 month process and six figures of money invested in ads before we really got that to work. And that's not a tremendous success story. That's just the real story. That's what happened, right? Yeah, those are the facts. That's the real yeah, world. Those are the facts, right? So it was a lot of testing, a lot of tweaking. It probably wasn't until I backed myself out of running the ads myself and I hired a, a proper media buyer that it really started to work. And we got okay results with Facebook. It was decent, not amazing. Where things really started to click is when we added YouTube into the mix. So now we're now we're running Facebook and YouTube primarily, a little bit of LinkedIn, but primarily from a paid perspective, Facebook and YouTube. And when I say Facebook, I include Instagram, right? Facebook and Instagram within the uh, the Facebook network. And that's really been the winning combination for us and for a lot of businesses in our industry. Facebook and YouTube, you combine the cost-effective lead acquisition on Facebook with a very powerful retargeting and authority creation on YouTube. Perfect. All right. So you scaled that up. And so you figured out the formula there. And how long do you think that took before you really started to get your arms around the scale component? Was it, you know, was it three months, six months? Was it really, did it really yeah, take so a year before of, you had that? Yeah, we're in 2021 right now, right? All of 2020 was about scaling marketing. So by the end of 2020, we were at a seven figure run rate. And my focus was entirely on scaling marketing. And I was doing all the sales. I was doing all the sales and all the fulfillment. So I would take, you know, December of 2020, I think it was the first month that we hit our seven-figure run rate of 80, 90K in that month. In that month, I was taking probably 20 to 25 sales calls every month, every week, sorry, every week. I was delivering our program and serving our clients and doing all the, all the management admin. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So now you've got the lead gen scaled up. You dialed in your offer. You've got the right channels. You're getting eyeballs to your offer. People are submitting applications or inquiring or asking yep. you for more info. Now you got to scale up. The next season is scaling up what sales? Sales, yeah. So sales became the bottleneck, right? Of course, uh, you, were, probably, you were the guy doing twenty-five calls a week, which is time-consuming. Which is time-consuming, right? And I knew I could throw more bodies into the mix from a sales perspective, and I could scale marketing even more. At that point, you know, at the end of twenty twenty, sorry, this twenty nineteen. I'm getting my years mixed up. <laughs> this is twenty nineteen. At the end of twenty nineteen, 
I couldn't spend more money on marketing. I had too many leads. Like I were bursting at the seams because I couldn't take more calls. I didn't have more time on my calendar. So the next bottleneck to solve for, and I really want folks to pay attention to the bottleneck thinking, you only solve the bottleneck of the business. Any time spent not solving the bottleneck of the business is time wasted. So then I shifted my focus to sales because sales became the bottleneck. I needed more people like me who could make the offer, talk to prospective clients, and enroll them into our program. So pretty much all of 2020 now became a process of scaling the sales team. So we're hiring reps, we're training, there's turnover, there's churn. And you know that, and that was interesting, right? Because it's one thing for me to scale marketing where I'm essentially scaling myself. And the marketing, it's me and the ads, it's me talking, I'm in the videos, right? But when you scale sales, you're not scaling yourself. You're scaling other people, right? And you have to essentially transfer your belief and your knowledge to a certain extent and your conviction in the offer and your care for the marketplace. You have to transfer that to these other human beings who you have their own you know, backgrounds and have their own perspectives and beliefs, right? And that's, you know, I thought that would be easy, kind of silly in the you know, retrospect, but that was probably the hardest thing that we've ever had to do was scale the sales team. How many salespeople do you have now? We have, we call them advisors. They're the, they're the enrollment specialists. We have three advisors and then we have about three appointment centers. So six in total. Gotcha. Yeah. And so believe it or not, guys, scaling up sales is definitely challenging because number one, you got to find the right people. You got to vet them. You got to onboard them. You got to train them. You got to replace them when they churn. I mean, it's not surprising that it could take you up to a year to find three good people that are actually number one, good at the job, number two, happy at the job, and number three, to be able to achieve the goals that you're looking for. So I'm not surprised that most people do underestimate the time that it takes to do that, particularly in a small business where you're creating a lot of those processes on the fly, right? Because you don't have those processes. You were the only guy, you were the only employee. So so yeah, so that's challenging. Kudos to you for that. But look at, now you're not doing 25 sales calls a week, I have a feeling. And uh sales continue to roll in. So awesome. So that was season number three. That was scaling up sales. What's next? Yeah. And season four was scaling, scaling delivery and fulfillment. Now, so these two seasons actually happened concurrently. All of 2020 was scaling sales and scaling fulfillment. And you're thinking, Ahmed, you just said, solve the main bottleneck of the business and don't do anything else. And you solve for two bottlenecks, you hypocrite, right? Well, no, I hired somebody at the beginning of 2020 to scale fulfillment. All right. So I knew that me as the business owner, and this is true for me, and if you're listening, this may not be true for you. You have to know what you can deliver, what your core capability is, what your strengths are that nobody else can match, right? I knew that I had to lead marketing and I had to build the sales team. I knew that I couldn't bring somebody and parachute them in and say, build my sales team. I knew that that was not going to be the path for me. I knew that I had to do it. But I also knew that I didn't have to be the one to scale the fulfillment and the delivery of our service. Wasn't my skill set, wasn't my strong suit, wasn't where my passion lied. I'm not detail-oriented, all kinds of things, right? So I did what any smart entrepreneur would do. I hired really, really well. Hired somebody very expensive, very, very good, and entrusted them with that process. So we hired our director of client success. Her name is Carrie Miller. She's fantastic. I said, Carrie, get us to the point where we can enroll 40 to 50 clients a month. You got a year. And I gave her the platform. I gave her the support. I gave her the resources. I worked with her in the beginning really closely, and she did it. And you know, I take no credit for this. She's really, really good at what she did. My only credit that I take is I hired her and I trusted her. And that enabled me as a business owner to kind of not step out of fulfillment entirely because I'm always going to be part of fulfillment, but to take it off my mind. I know it's being handled. There's somebody responsible in charge of leading that piece of the business. So I can focus on what I do best, which is marketing and sales. 
Okay, great. So I love that. So break that apart a little bit because you obviously watched what she did. You observed what she did, even though you were kind of busy with your own bottlenecks and issues and challenges inside the business. But how did she go about scaling the delivery? Because there's different strategies for that, whether it be group type programs, one-on-one courses, you know, live events. There's all kinds of ways to try to scale these types of programs. What did you guys choose and why? Right. So our coaching model today is a combination of one-on-one and group environment coaching. So we have a team of client success coaches that we assign to each of our clients. So a client walks in, they get a one-to-one success coach that is responsible for stewarding their journey inside the program, making sure they're doing the work, making sure they're getting results, making sure they're on track. That's the one-to-one coaching element. And then we have these expert coaches. And we've, we talk about them as if it's like a general physician versus a specialist type relationship, right? So you have your success coach is your general physician. And then you have these specialists, the cardiologist, the nephrologist, et cetera, right? In our case, it's sales, it's, it's mindset, it's positioning, it's LinkedIn, it's content. We have all these specialists. And these specialists host these... Essentially, I think I don't even know to be honest. I think we have six calls a week now. It's insane. Like, but sometimes I go to client success and I'm like, "You guys are doing too much. You need to calm down. Like, this is this is ridiculous." But as far as I know, we have about six calls a week now, each with a specialist in a particular subject matter area, where a client can go and they're working with their one-on-one success coach, but they can go to these specialists two, three times a week, however much they want, frankly, and they can get this very tailored, specific, specialized expert advice on whatever problem that they're facing. And then that's along with a very robust training library and a very robust learning track and execution track for clients so that they know when they walk in, they know what the path is, they know what the journey looks like, they know what the timeline is, and they have all the support that they need to get it done. Yeah. So one of the things that I see, you know, solo entrepreneurs, one of the things they struggle with in order to try to scale up their business, and this will apply to all three areas or three or four seasons that you talked about there, which is taking the profits that you're generating and reinvesting them into the business, right? Most solopreneurs want to stick that money right in the hip national bank. And, you know, they do, they want to, they got all kinds of plans for that money. And a lot of times it's not to reinvest in the business. And what you just did with scaling delivery and sales and marketing took a lot of commitment and capital, not just, you know, you had real risk in this deal. You're putting your capital on the table. And one of the things you did on the delivery side was you hired these specialists, you hired these coaches, you hired these advisors. And that's not cheap, right? So even though you're doing 300,000 or 400,000 a month, it's not like that's all margin. You've invested a large percentage of that into skills and talent and structure and value. And that's a missing link. That's a missing link where most solopreneurs fall down. And it's usually hiring, which is a big obstacle for people and outsourcing because they lose control. So, I mean, you know, we could talk for hours about this if we wanted to pull this thing apart. But I'm, I'm just reflecting and giving you a little bit of my feedback based on the story that you're telling me because this well, is- let me, be, let me be very clear and explicit. I mean, this may be helpful for people. Up until very recently, I paid myself like a middle manager. I did not take a lavish salary by any means up until very, or even arguably right now, I don't pay myself very lavishly. I mean, I buy expensive things. <laughs> sure, right? But salary-wise, I don't pay myself a lot and I haven't historically- but the upside, like, let's say, let's say I paid myself, you know, a reasonable six figure salary. The upside is by doing all this and reinvesting all the proceeds back into the business, I'm going to make a million dollars in profit next year. Wouldn't have been able to do that if I paid myself half a million every year for the past three years. Yeah. It takes discipline. It takes patience. It takes the willingness to do that. I remember when I, you know, I started my logistics company, which was the last business I built and then sold my first year in the business. 
I paid myself $48,000. I took a huge pay cut, you know, from my previous business just in order to do that for the first couple of years. I think that's what I paid myself. And then eventually I went to six figures and, you know, just low six figures, which still isn't a lot of money. And then I think it was probably the first, when I really started making money in that business where it was, you know, we had a significant amount of cash flow was probably, honestly, it was probably three or four years in before there was really enough money to say, hey, you know, this is good. This is working. This is legit. So kudos to you for the process. You know, that was a, a 30 month plus journey of getting there. And, I, you know, again, we could pull this apart and we'll maybe we'll have you on again to probably maybe break one of these things down even deeper because I think the audience would enjoy that. I know I would personally. So anything else you want to add about that scaling process? I'm going to have a couple more rapid fire questions and we'll wrap it up for today. No, I think just, you know, if if you're somebody that's starting out in business and you want to get to this stage, the thing I will say though, at this stage is what I've, my challenge has been learning that it's not about what I do in the business anymore. It's about how I lead my team. So at this stage of business, it's all about team development and leadership and culture, right? And that's kind of season five, if you will. I'll report back in a year. Love it. Season (laughs) five. It's the never ending journey. All right. Listen, two rapid fire questions are going to wrap it up. What's your favorite growth tool, software, app, something that you use on a regular basis that is invaluable in helping you grow your business? As a 20-year Earnout user, I have to say with a little bit of shame that I've, I've converted to Notion and uh, I've never looked back. Notion is amazing. It keeps my entire life on track and business. Love it. And what would be one book that you would recommend for the audience, something you've read or you think might uh, help them on their journey? 177 Mental Toughness Secrets of the World Class by Steve Seibold. I've got it on my desk. It's a bit obscure, so I don't want to give you the common common answers usually here, but that's a, that's a bit of an obscure one, but a powerful one. Love it. Well, listen, Ahmad, let everybody know how they can connect with you, learn more about what you got going on over there, and then we'll wrap it up for today. Uh, yeah, real simple. Head over to 90daypipeline.com. You can learn more about our work there. If you're interested in working with us, you can grab a call with our team and we'd love to help you. And uh, it was a real pleasure here, Dennis. Yeah. Thank you so much. I'm glad we finally got you on the show and that we've started a conversation. I'm sure this won't be the last. We'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.